Double agents and jet bridge mystics, glue on your mustache at a jaunty angle, oil up your pen cap beretta, and quip whilst you nip out to the gip and give him the slip. Because it's time to talk tall to me. I didn't have anything. Nothing, nothing to be had. Nothing to have. Nothing is easy. That's the song we're covering today. Did I tell you that? <laughs> Welcome back. I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moans. And this, my dear ones, is Talk Tall to Me. A high-stakes game of cat and mouse in the intricate spiderweb of lies of prog rock, in which Lone Wolf Nick and the man with the golden hat, Omen, try our best to keep our cover stories straight while furiously signaling the nuclear launch codes using every single track that not-who-they-seem rock band Jethro Tull has ever released. We will boggle in amazement at the many disguises of Martin Barr, we will put a secret tracker on David Pegg's electric shaver. And if we're not careful, we could find ourselves slowly lowered into a pool teeming with hungry Peter John's Vitesse. <sighs> yes, where Ian, the man with a thousand faces, Anderson is concerned, you can never be too careful. For those of you playing the home game, that is one point in the column of Omen pronouncing it nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. Wait, what's how is it pronounced? Nuclear. 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 Old clear. Nuclear. It's, I've, it's, you're not helping me to have a definite <laughs> idea of how it's pronounced. I'm even more confused. <laughs> Nick, hello. Omen, welcome. This is a monumental day for for recording purposes. It is. It is monumental and also the opposite of that. Banal. It is. It is. Humdrum every day. It is not every day that I am recording from the location from which I'm currently recording. And yet it will soon be the everyday recording situation. That's true. But we've got one more one more shift in that your your recording setup still isn't 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 there so so we'll get eventually we'll get that final setup and then boy it's gonna be like butter never never again a change yes never that's again. right yep. yeah right now i'm recording from the mobile feckless moms studio in the room that will someday become the permanent feckless moms recording studio in my new house in orlando florida it's like they drove the maison rouge bus into maison rouge studio <laughs> to record. It's like they drove the Maison Rouge bush into a lake, and what they salvaged, they put in a room with a bunch of boxes, and that's where I'm recording. <laughs> yes, that's it. On a different mic. <laughs> well, Nick, it's a it's an exciting day here. We are getting further into the album Under Wraps, that and uh, what song have we the pleasure of listening to and then talking to all about today? We will be discussing track four off of side A. It is later that same evening, but before we do, I've got just a couple of notes. Let's hear them. We've hinted at this before, the fact that there were several versions of this album in terms of the tracks available depending upon the medium of the album that you bought. Yes, this was the first album to be released on both vinyl record and on... On CD. And on CD. This yeah. is the first Jethro Tull on CD. Yeah. Kind of fascinating. Totally just glossed over cassette tape, but that's fine. I, I think it was also on cassette, if I... Yes, but I don't yeah. think it was the first. Oh, no. No. I don't think it was at this point. So Dave Pegg has been quoted as saying that the tracks cut from the sessions for Broadsword and the Beast would have been a better album while Martin Barr has referred to this as one of his personal favorites, as we know. Those uh, original tracks, original, quote-unquote. So the original 1984 had 11 tracks, with Astronomy, Tundra, Automotive Engineering, and General Crossing being available only on the cassette version. Oh, interesting. So of those four tracks... 
General Crossing became the first Jethro Tull track never released on vinyl. Oh, wow. Yeah, as Astronomy Tundra and Automotive Engineering all appeared on a 12-inch single release of Lap of Luxury. Whoa. Okay, fascinating. It's amazing to see as soon as you get into the digital music era, things immediately just start to fracture. And like how you listen to the album depends on how you bought it, which if you go back a couple albums, there was only one way to listen to it. Right, exactly. And well, actually, we've got an email that we'll get into later that talks about specifically that. The final detail here, the the CD editions of the album had all 15 of the tracks, and the 2005 Enhanced CD also contained a QuickTime video for Lap of Luxury. A QuickTime video? (laughs) Yeah, QuickTime. Pre-MP4, I believe, even. You know, none of the videos ever play on my vinyls. Are, Are you... Are you breaking off pieces of the vinyl and putting it in the DVD player? I am. That is what I'm doing. Yeah, okay. Okay, we're going to have to talk about how DVD players work, I think. Okay, great. Anything else to talk about before we dive into later that same evening? Not a thing for me. I think we can hop into it. Are you good with that? Yeah, I am. Let's change our wigs and hop into the song and speed away. All right. I get the curly one this time. That was my wig. Oh my gosh. Nick. Omen. Later that same evening. It is, actually. It is later (laughs) the same evening. What do you think? Ooh. The first time I listened to the song, I liked it. But now, ugh. The second time I listened to the song, I liked it a bit more. Okay, okay. Now, I quite like it. It's pretty darn good. It's pretty good. It kind of sets itself apart from the rest of the stuff we've heard so far, and I, I like that. I like that about it. In what ways would you say it sets itself apart? I think it's a much simpler sound than we've heard so far. It is way less frenetic and multi-layered and busy. There's still a lot going on, but it's not mm-hmm. a struggle. Yeah, I agree. It it almost uh, it gets out of its own way musically, you could say. Yeah. Yeah, there it's there's there's a simplicity to it. And the the sound, the overall sound is a nice kind of dark, kind of 80s mysterious techno-y sound that I'm really digging. Yes, I like it a lot as well. And because because it's relatively straightforward musically, the details stand out in a way that they wouldn't necessarily stand out in the context of a different song. Absolutely. Yeah, you're not you're not losing anything for for the cacophony that is the drum machine or the synth or something. You know, you get you get every little piece here. The drum machine is pretty restrained. It seems like it had a good night's sleep and a nice cup of coffee. Yeah, maybe maybe a matcha, you know, not a it's not <laughs> it's not it's not crazy hectic. That's caffeine. right. Yeah, it's a nice they decaffeinated the drum machine. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. But that being said, I almost forgot that there was a drum machine here. It, it's so it's so subdued comparatively. So when I yes when it did click in, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's assuredly a drum machine. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a lot less intrusive. It's nice. It's so funny thinking back to the days of Cats Squirrel. Mm-hmm. You know when you have those long drum solos and. you know, that's just not going to happen on this album because you would have to program it in. And the whole point of a drum solo is the spontaneity of it. It's just funny. The only thing more boring than a drum solo is a drum solo programmed into a drum machine. Yeah. Yeah. I love the synth in this song. I would Mm -hmm. say that the the synth is a, I mean, the synth is a huge part of this whole album and this whole era, 
but I would say that the synth is the the driving force with this song. Yeah, the the faux string sound from from the synth is really really nice. Which actually makes me really, really long to hear an acoustic... An acoustic drum machine. ...version of this with Dee making a return with her her string orchestration. That would be lovely. Yeah. yeah. An acoustic version of this whole album. I'm really... I really love that idea. I think that would be so fun. Yeah. But it does a little bit. I don't know if for you, but for me, it does scratch my string itch. It does. It does. Because it's been so long, any little hit works at this point. <laughs> Got a serious problem. I do. But that that line where after we get to around later in the wee small hours, there, there was heavy traffic. Hold for thunder. Holding for thunder. Around that middle of the song, we get the synth strings doing this. Beep, 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 beep. Later in the wee small and it's very kind of james bondish i mean maybe yeah. it's just because of the content that i'm thinking that but it does feel it, it this the sound could totally fit right into a spy movie i know a, a part of me i want to be able to separate myself and think organically like oh wow this is so spy sounding without having that preconceived idea of 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 what the the whole album is as a whole but but we can't do that so i don't think it's a terrible idea of like interpreting it as is because i mean we we know ian's what ian's going in with this sound there's no reason to fight the urge to think that it sounds like this don't fight the moonlight nick don't fight it i'm leaving every one of those in don't do it I mean, I, I kind of have to. <laughs> um, but also, this song wasn't written in a vacuum. The first James no, Bond course. film came out in 1960-something. That was written in a vacuum, though, right? It was written in a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Ian Fleming famously lived in a vacuum cleaner, yeah. yes. Yeah. Very curious little fact about him. Nobody nobody really knows that. No, <laughs> nobody knows why. Nobody knows why, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as soon as Ian starts inventing this spy story with this album... Mm-hmm. Either consciously or subconsciously, you can't avoid thinking about certain musical themes, certain tropes. Mm-hmm. It's all in the it's all in the the spy miasma, the spy miasma. The it's in the spitegeist, the the spy spitegeist. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm working with it. Yeah, the spy who punned me. <laughs> also, synth wise, this feels a little bit almost like pro, pre-programmed Mellotron, but the the who. Yeah, uh, right. What at is the, that sound? It's it's a it's a couple of voices going who. Huh. But I don't know if it's like all of the guys at once doing it, or if it's it's like a mellotron thing where it's all of the Oh, right, right, right. Or if it's just Ian recording over himself a bunch of times. Multiple levels, yeah. Yeah. Why do you, um, we'll probably get the, more into this in the content section, the lyrics section, but do you have any thoughts on what that huh is? I think, I, I think, and we can, we can tail in at the, the very end where we have all of the silly voices, the back, 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 back. All the the, uh-huh. the layers of like mechanical synthy voices there too, and I, I I don't know is it is I don't hate them, but I'm not. It's not entirely clear how I'm supposed to interpret it. I think the only thing I can come up with is that maybe it's like the multiple identities of a spy. So you've got the multiple layers of the same person. So you've got Ian, you've got Anton, you've got. James, all the same person playing every one of these roles, he has a kind of a different voice 
or or personality for each one, but he's still saying the same thing. Wow. That's a very beautiful interpretation. And I want to pin that for later because that relates to something that you made me think of something that I want to bring back when we were talking about the lyrics. Okay, cool. There is talking about the synth and talking about that kind of back, 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 back thing. Back, back, back. Yeah. That, when I first heard it, I don't think I appreciated it as much as when I listened to it again. It is so cool and it is so modern. It's very modern, yeah. He even drops it down, you know, an octave. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like something that Will I Am would do. Are you familiar with Scream and Shout, the Will I Am and Britney Spears song? I, I am not. Uh, I'll, I'll put it in here, though. I want to scream and shout and let it all out. I want to scream and shout and let it out. It goes on and on and on and on. It goes on and on and on and on. Britney, bitch. I want to scream and shout and let it all out. And scream and shout and let it out. We say no, we are, we are, we are. You are now, now rocking with Will I Am and Britney, bitch. They play with the register. They play with the kind of like the halting. It's very, it's very William. It's, it's very modern. It's very cool. I, yeah. I like it. I think it's so much fun. It's E-I-N. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's his, it's his DJ name, yeah. And der son. E-I-N. Der son. son. Yeah. <laughs> the song is in 4-4 four, four time. Okay. Again, sticking with your, adding more evidence to your theory. Adding more evidence to my, you can only program a drum machine one way theory, which is totally false, of course. You could program <laughs> yeah. it to be in any time signature, but I think that they haven't yet. <laughs> they haven't dabbled there. Yeah. They couldn't find the switch. Yeah. They just pushed a couple of buttons and let it go. But what is interesting with this song, and I think that one of the reasons that both you and I are kind of having a good experience with this song so far is that the scansion and the way that Ian is singing in particular mm-hmm. is really straining against the 4-4 time. Okay, right. Leave it to Ian to to use 4-4 and then abuse 4-4. He is abusing 4-4 yeah. in this case. Or he's more just completely ignoring the 4-4. <laughs> yeah, the cold shoulder. He's ghosting 4-4. He has... 4-4 is for the normal law-abiding citizen. He has a license to cadenza. <sighs> I like it. I approve. <laughs> Martin is very relaxed. Yeah. We kind of get him really just focused at the end of the song. There's a little bit of yep. Martin jazz. Mm-hmm. A little Mar- Martin noodles. It's a Martin cocktail. Light on the Martin. Yeah. Shaken, not not stirred. Shred, shredded, not, not picked. No, that doesn't work. Uh-huh. We'll keep working on that one. <laughs> one final synthy, And this, I guess this doesn't really have to ne- technically be synth, but the submarine twee twee at like 2.30 or so. Oh, yeah, sure. Small crop warnings to keep the shore. More sound effects setting the mood, whether it was PJV on the keyboard, like like hitting the right keys at the time or if it was dropped in later, I'm not sure, but that's a cool touch. I like it. If they had, if they brought out Submatron just for that one effect. Submatron. Yeah, it, it emerged from the floor just to do it and then left again. <laughs> the synth in the very first couple of notes is so fat. Mm. This the, A lot of the sounds in this song are sounds that I enjoy. I love a fat synth. I know that about you. It's well known. It's well known to anyone who knew me in college. Well, well documented. Yeah. Well documented. We have the, we have the repeated, the kind of cut and spliced voice moments that I adore. Mm-hmm. I like this song, Nick. It's a good one. It's a good one. I like it. It is a, it's a nice respite. It falls pretty evenly as like a third of the album sides not included but it 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 falls kind of nicely 
the first act break of three acts, whereas yes, yes. the second break is under wraps two. So we've got those two kind of slightly different sounds kind of dropped in the middle of of these other more frantic, hectic, drum machine sounds. As we prepare to move ourselves into the lyric discussion section, this is an interesting moment to point out that the relaxed quality of the music of this song is a little bit at odds with the story. Sure, right. Yeah. The story is almost about this, you know, this chase that we'll obviously we'll talk about in a second, but the way it's being presented is in this kind of relaxed kind of storytelling, regret-filled smoky room in the back with a with a glass of sherry. Could I be so bold as to venture it is a post-coital glow? Uh, I I think that we need to ask the HR department about that, but I'm not opposed to that idea. <laughs> let's if, let's workshop that. If Susan signs off on it, I'm I'm you've got no complaints for me. <laughs> we need an intimacy coordinator. <laughs> yes, and also a sex ed teacher. Also, one of those would definitely be helpful. Yeah. Nick, anything else to say musically about later that same evening? That's it for music. Let's jump halfway there before we get into the rest of the song. I'm going to get my pants halfway on. Okay, great. I've got your pants halfway on me as well. It's a shared pant. One leg each. Nick, step into my office. Omen, thank you for seeing me. I, uh, I, I just bumped into Marley. Ah, that explains the smell. Yeah, he handed me an email and told me not to tell you about it. That was code for make sure you tell Omen about it immediately, but um, we better make it quick. I have a I have a whiskey competition here in a few mo- minutes. Okay. Yeah, he also looked me dead in the eye and said, read this to him, so I got really mixed signals. Really <laughs> that's, that's what we pay him for. Yeah, okay, great, great. As long as we're clear that he's doing, I guess, what we're paying him for. Yeah. So, so this is from our most... Most frequent in vocal writer in her, Aldous Potier, writes back in. This is truly the era of Potier. The, the, the Potier... This is our Potier period. The Potier period of, of Talk Tell to Me. And this ties in perfectly with all those kind of disparate track pieces that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. I can't wait for the podcast that Aldous Potier creates called Perfectly Potier. <laughs> And he, he only talks about things that start with P. So yeah. it's potpourri is one day. And, right. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. T- the catch line is, that's perfectly potier. Yeah. That's the end. That's the button. All right. Yeah. All right. Eldis, we'll, we'll talk about this off, off air. That's great. Okay. From Eldis Potier. Dear Nick and Omen, as you wind down Broadsword and the Beast, I'm thinking about the quote unquote problem child that is the Under Wraps album. Ooh. I want to suggest it as a candidate for Tull's first dabbling in the bonus tracks concept. As always, mm. I bought the album the first time I saw it show up on my weekly visit to the record store. Cool, though very untully album cover. There were 11 tracks. I really liked some. Heat, Paparazzi, Apogee, Under Wraps 2. Others, not so much. A few weeks later, I was in the record store again and happened to look at the cassette tape release of the same album. There were two additional songs, Astronomy and The Very Weird Automotive Engineering. Wow, Mm. another eight bucks for two songs? Ah, what the hell. I must hear these songs. Jump ahead several weeks. I had recently got my first compact disc player. I found under wraps on CD and what? Two more songs? I had to spend $15 to get Tundra and General Crossing. Okay, we can debate the ROI and price per song here, but the general point is, songs that didn't find their way onto the vinyl album with its 45-minute time limit were now making it on to CD. The concept of bonus tracks is born, for tall fans at least. I'll be interested to hear your impressions of this most divisive of tall albums. All the best, Eldis. Wow. First of all, thank you for sharing that experience with us and with the wider Talk Tall to Me community. That's fantastic. It does make me think that it may have been a very clever way of getting, 
you know, $24 for, for a, a $10 album. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, it is really interesting. You know, at what point does this idea of bonus tracks start creeping into the listener consciousness? Yeah. Also, you know, you're you're well right to point out that this is a divisive album. It even is divisive within the band. Sure, right, exactly. For for those those who who were there making that music, yeah, yeah. Jerry Peg, Jer- Jerry Peg. That was just for you. Oh, thank you. You're, you're so sweet. David Peg obviously didn't think that highly of this album, whereas Martin Barr remembers it fondly. Very yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I wonder if it's. I wonder if it has to do with just the output requirement from the musician. Like, the bass is by far on the back, the farthest back burner on this album. And I think that the bass, specifically if we talk about David Pegg, the bass and the drums work so closely together sonically, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can imagine it was less fun to play without a live drummer. Right. Right, exactly. Whereas... Peggy on Broadsword, we couldn't stop gushing. And he couldn't stop playing. And he couldn't stop playing. Yeah, I don't know for sure, but I really, I like that as a theory of of just like, it probably wasn't fun for him. He probably felt pretty much like a drum machine. Why didn't they just get a bass machine? A bass machine, yeah. Yeah. Why didn't they just get a mandolin machine? Right. Because you can't keep it in tune, that's why. <laughs> our, our mandolin's notoriously difficult to keep in tune. Yes, yes, yeah. The joke is, um, how do you how do you get two mandolin players to play in tune with each other? Shoot one of them. Shoot one. Of them. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really that sparked a thought in my brain that Eldest Potiers mentioned was referring to this album as a problem child. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me recall to my thoughts the fact that a certain group of plays by Mr. William Shakespeare are referred to as the problem plays. Oh, yeah. Because they don't neatly fit into the categories of comedy, tragedy, history. Right. There are the other ones. Things like Cymbeline or even A Winter's Tale. Hmm. The format of them isn't quite the same as, as the other ones and it's hard to define. They kind of exist in a world of their own. But none of them have enough in common to make them all a definitive piece either except by except for by calling them the problem plays. the problem plays yeah the thing that they share is that the, the plot structures and tone of them is a little bit different than anything else and i think that you know similarly you don't see that many productions of cymbeline you don't see that many productions of a winter's tale but you see tons of productions of romeo and juliet i feel like Aqualung is the Romeo and Juliet mm. of the tall canon. Okay. Whereas this is more the Cymbeline or perhaps even the Pericles of Troy. I loved Pericles. I thought it was so funny. You know who else loved Pericles? Shakespeare. Perhaps, but more importantly, his audiences. Oh. Pericles was performed more times at the time of its writing than any other Shakespeare play. Huh. Look at that. Because it's a dope, fun adventure story. Yeah, it really is. It's a lot of yeah. fun. But enough about William Shakespeare. <laughs> Aldous Potier, thank you so much for your thoughts, for your brain, for your heart. For your, your glimpse into the past experience of a, of, a, of a first-hand experience. That We've said it before, we'll say it again, Omen and I did not get to experience stuff like that with Tall. So it's really cool to, to hear it told by someone who who was there for it. All those years ago. Uh, yeah, I feel old. I don't want to know how these people feel. Young at heart. Young at heart and young at spleen. Eldest, thank you so much for writing in. Please don't stop. And we will see you on the flip. Okay, so here we are. Second half. Lyrics. Content. Boogie. Later that same evening. Later that same evening. First of all, I love the title. So it's 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 a title card. It's it's text that appears at the bottom of the screen as we get a a transition, as we get a fade in to a, a smoky bedroom, maybe. Yes, or it's it's stage directions, or also that, yeah, or screenplay directions. Mm-hmm giving us the time and place. It's also emotional stage directions 
conveying a feeling later that same evening. The same evening as what? As the event in question. Right. Right. And and what is that question? What do we have here? What's our story? Where has our story progressed at this point? The story, which is amazing because it does, in a way, connect with European legacy. It does, it does perhaps connect directly with under wraps the song one could one could tie a narrative thread between either of those to this this is the story of the one that got away yes the singer is describing a series of experiences that he had with or that they had with the she in the in the song right the what i have heretofore proposed as the honeypot gone wrong Svetlana. My favorite Winnie the Pooh story. <laughs> it's, uh, I'll, I'll read it to you when you're older, kids. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it's what you said where she, she kind of left him. It's like a one-night stand kind of thing. That kind of fits as on that, like, surface layer of this doesn't have to be a spy story. How does it fit into, like, someone's real-life experience? But I, I think it also works with this is where he like really starts to fall for Svetlana and she got a call on her mini little microphone that was tucked in her heel or something and she had to scarp her and he's like, oh, but we had such a good time. I think that up to this song, you could make the argument that this is about spies or not about spies. I think when we get to this one, it really, there the, some of the details puts it firmly in the spy realm. Yes. Yeah. The The hidden phone. The submarine. I mean, it's so <laughs> fun. It's so cool. Yeah. Yep. We met up and had a drink or four at a Kensington hotel. We had had a drink or four in some Kensington hotel. Back to Kensington. Yep. It was hard to keep my mind on what she had to sell. Why is that? Why she he was distracted by her legs could be or his job the fact that he has to be a gosh darn spy his head's not in the game yeah so that's interesting is she trying to is, is the implication that she's selling information and he's having a hard time keeping his mind on the job because he's so attracted to her right or is what she's selling is this idea or this mirage of the relationship. And it's hard to keep his mind on that because he's doing his job. It kind of works right. either way. It I think does. the more appealing one for me is he's he's in over his head. He's distracted. He's yeah. under wraps. He's wrapped up in the in her warmth. Right. Yeah. And if if we do go back to lap of luxury, where where if this is presumably the the story of a guy who's kind of been thrust into to the life of being a spy. Then, then yeah, of course he's gonna he's he's gonna fall easily. He's not gonna be prepared and steeled and ready. Hmm. And then ultimately, where where it condenses and boils down to is now I want you back. Yes, they want you back. We want you back. Mm-hmm. My country wants mm-hmm. you back. Now I want- That is where I want to remove the pin from the idea that you had earlier. The voices, yep. Yes, which is the multiple identities kind of crashing into one another. Yeah. If you are a spy, let's say let's say we're both let's say we're a spy. Imagine yourself as a spy doing it. Okay, great. You have a responsibility to yourself, to your whatever mask story you're telling, right? To your agency. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And to your country. Correct. And any of those things in an ideal world, all of those things are in lockstep with each other. But as we know, the world is very complex. Mm-hmm. And so there are likely to be maybe not conflicts of interest, but at least disparities between the desires and the needs of each of those facets of your of yourself. Right. And and the human psyche is complex, and being able to juggle those things, and maybe something that is more appealing to 
one of these layers takes the forefront over one of the others and and how far how far do you let it go to keep your cover versus like it's such a it's such an interesting juggle here and the the way that this chorus is constructed is so clever because it reveals the innermost desire and then immediately cages it in all of these more distant more removed ideas right i want you back i mean i mean they want you back we we want you back my country wants you back yeah it's fantastic what it what it boils down to what it begins with and ultimately is is he wants her back but he can get away with blaming the country or blaming the agency or whatever and that will always underlying service his needs in a way of wanting her of fighting for her because his need and desire is parallel with what the country needs and desires and if that ever changes if those ever come into come into to conflict there that's where we get some serious drama of of does he stick with her does he stick with the country does he let her go and tell them that she got away yeah what's right what's the dish there and this, I'm, I think this is why we like the stories of spies, because it allows all of these, this Gordian knot of yeah. of conflicting and overlapping desires. So is he masking, is he masking his own desire to himself by saying, oh yes, I have to pursue you because my country wants you back? Right. Who's to blame here? Am I a fallible shitty spy and I've fallen in love or is it because my country's making me do it quote unquote so there's a couple of I want to kind of zoom out a little bit to the way that the narrative is taking effect mm-hmm. because in one that chorus is the only time he refers to her as you it's the only a direct address to her correct yeah the rest of it is saying this is what happened mm-hmm and two things occur to me. One is that he is back at his hotel or back at his spy base, back in his suitcase, kind of processing the events of the evening and being like, all right, this is what happened or, you know, do. Uh, and, and there are several time periods actually here as well, because mm-hmm. at one point he's thinking, should I circulate her likeness? And then by the end of it, he is actually seeing her depart in the submarine. Yep. So there's a little bit of a shifting time here, but. <laughs> And I'm sure she blew a kiss to me as the sub sailed out to sea. I love that. I love it. I'm sure she did. I saw it. It couldn't have been like something flapping in the breeze or whatever. No, she blew a kiss. It couldn't have been the lobster man. This meant, no, the the lobster man blew the kiss. Yeah. Oh, or she blew the kiss to the lobster man. Is that what you're saying? She blew the kiss to the lobster man. Oh, okay. <laughs> but part of me thinks, you know, part of me also can imagine this. If we think about this cinematically, which I love to do, and also kind yes. of I feel like this whole album lends itself to the cinema very well, to, to a cinematic way of thinking. And also I think that Ian's writing style and the way that we've heard him describe his approach to songwriting almost being like painting lends yes. itself to the cinematic metaphor. Absolutely. I almost can see this as like, cutting between the story that we're experiencing and him in the office of his MI5 boss being like, all right, all right, ma'am, this is what's, this is what's happened. Here's my official report. Yeah. And then in that, if you think about that kind of cinematic representation, what are the things that he's hiding from his boss? What are the things that he's not including in the report? Yeah. Is he including, you know, and I think she blew a kiss to me in the official report. Maybe, maybe he's a terrible yeah. idiot spy, but maybe he's like, yeah, this is the official story of what happened. And then here's this, all this other things that we get a, a view on because we're inside his head. Right. It's, th- it's the multiple layers. It's a little bit like the song that just dropped this past week. Beyonce's new album? Down at the End of Your Road. Oh, yes. Beyonce's Down at the End of Your Road. Getting Down at the End of Your Road. Where, where we surmised that most of it was in his head of saying, oh, I threw bottles in your geraniums and I, I put doggy poo-poos on, in the mail, et cetera, et cetera. And then the spoken word is, oh, but but I'm I'm a real estate agent and I live down at the end of the road. Right, 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 right. 
you know, there, there is some level of what is, what is out loud and what is in, in the mind here. And in what does he think, what does our secret agent think is the, is the right thing to be doing here and the right thing to be saying here? I love the moment where he says, should I circulate her likeness at all airports without delay? Should I circulate her likeness at all airports without delay? He doesn't even know what to do. I think that yeah. this reminds me of, you're familiar with the Sherlock Holmes stories, no doubt. I, I mean, I know of them. I've, I've never read them. So in the in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories, there is one of them that is a bit unique that has to deal with uh, a character called Irene Adler. And she's been adapted into, into lots of different forms in films and TV series in other, in Sherlock adaptations. But the, in the actual story, it's kind of fascinating because she is unique in all of the Sherlock stories in that she completely baffles him. Mm, mm -hmm. She baffles Sherlock Holmes. And it's so great because you sort of see him working to catch her plot and you see, you think you see her totally falling into his trap. And at the end of it, she's gone without a trace. She leaves him a little note being like, Oh, hope you had a good time, Mr. Sherlock, like <laughs> with this dance that we did. And he has zero leads. He's just completely befuddled. It's, it's fantastic. So, yeah, you know, I love that. Let's assume that this is a very competent spy because I think it makes the story better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's so confused by what's happened that he's like, should I go around to the airports with a poster? Wait, are you saying he's the competent spy or she's the competent spy? I think it's I think it's fun if he is very competent oh, okay. in this in this uh, story. OK, because it makes her more powerful. Sure. Absolutely. That she it's. It's she she has to be that much better to be able to pull one over on him. And that's where we get that. You know, that's what what makes it so satisfying that at the end, maybe she does blow a kiss to him like, hey, thanks for the dance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And like you said earlier, is that a detail that he he puts in there? Is that something that he <laughs> omitted from the official yeah, report? Right. Re redacted from his official memory. I, I mean, I could see that that he would maybe want to say that to to say oh but maybe she's falling for me maybe i've i've i'm i'm working on it i'm working on her i've i've there's something sure. there you know but i think more more likely is it's probably just straight up embarrassing yeah yeah i totally i love this song nick the more that we talk about it the more i'm like really getting into it yeah i think that all the details shifting between between spaces i mean we have just in the course of this song we have him at the embassy, potentially the airport, the Kensington Hotel, the cab. In a cab, yep. Back to either his place or, or hers. He gets home. There's, there's the port. And then yep. there's wherever he's relating this story. So there's in total, you know, eight spaces that we shift between. Yeah. And in a... When you are recounting something from memory and there is a, there's a level of desperation there, you're, you're going to be jumping around. You're going to be saying, oh, and then we were here. Oh, and, and when actually later that evening, we were also here and then this happened. Should I have done this? We were here. Right. It's it, for, for being a, for being one of the slower songs we've heard so far, it's, it does have this, this kind of manic thought process behind it at least it's very noir it's very jump cuts yeah you know a, a, a jump cut and then a slow camera shot and then a jump cut and then a slow camera shot and then and then a single cigarette in the darkness yeah uh, she she blows him the kiss and then we just we we zoom in on the lobster zoom in on the on the lobster mm. lobster that same evening the lobster's a metaphor, Nick. I love it. That's so good. Yeah. That's when we open the tall restaurant. That's obviously going to be one of the dishes. <laughs> oh my God, tall restaurant. I think we joked about that probably many, many albums ago. That's very funny. Yeah. Nick, anything else to say about later that same evening? 
Nothing for me. What about you? Anything? I like it. I'm excited to keep following the thread of this storyline throughout the whole album. Can't wait till next week. But I will. Yeah, I, I will because I have to. Next week is just going to continue with that kind of what the heck's going on story because we are getting into the song Saboteur. Saboteur. Very exciting. Until next week, however, later this same evening, you should sign up for our Patreon where you can get two additional podcasts a month. Outtake Taltimi and Feckless, and access to our Discord server to talk with other like-minded Tall Skulls. That's right. Later in the wee small hours, there may be heavy traffic on the Discord. Nice. If you are a lobster man or any other kind of marine operator, you might need to get yourself a shiny bright t-shirt so that you can be seen from afar. And why not get it emblazoned with the Talk Taltimi logo on it? So that when they find you in your lobster boat, they can tell that you are a proud listener to Talk Tall to Me. Now I want your back to be wearing a Talk Tall to Me t-shirt. That was a lot more elegant. <laughs> so while you're in some Kensington hotel having a drink or four, why don't you give us a star or five and a review on Apple Podcasts? Yeah, maybe just five. Just five. Just five is fine. Until next week, I am half-submerged suspiciously, Omen Thomas said. I am the good security that prevailed, Nick McGill. We are a million miles away, the feckless moms. And should it be your place or ours, this is Talk Tall to Me. G'day, boys. Welcome into the left claw. I'll, uh, I'll get your regular pint set up for you. Oh, thank you, Seamus. Thank you. Oh, Jimmy, odd day at the lobster traps, weren't it? Oh, Donaghy, you'll never believe what I saw today. Tell me, James. Tell me. Tell me as sure as my name's O'Donaghy. I'd like to hear what you did see down at the lobster traps on the south on the south bend of the seashore. Now, it's it's been many years since I've set foot on a submarine, but sure as my left testicle is named Rodney, I can sell a submarine when it is within distance. And boy, O'Donaghy, I saw a submarine today. Now, now, James, I don't mean to be questioning you, but have you happened to have had several pints of scrumpy afore you did come to the left claw? Well, of course I did. Oh, Thank Danica. God, I would hate to meet you sober. <laughs> of course I did, and it was it was in between three and four that I saw a damsel running down in high heels. She expertly cast herself over the slippery wet of the dock and Ooh. launched onto the, the submarine herself. And was she wearing stiletto heels like many of the young ladies favor these days? Stiletto heels? I saw them clip-clopping down. In fact, I think they're the same they're the same pair that I've seen you wear many an afternoon. Aye, they size nine. <laughs> Ferragamo. Perfect. Perfect for stepping over the, the lobster pots. That that's right. They were they they were the same golden sequin and everything. Here's your pints, gentlemen. I I'll put it on your tab, and, and uh, don't be a stranger to asking me for more pints. Thank you, Seamus. Thank you. James, you, you drink your pint. You, you obviously have had a scare. Uh, why don't you get uh, get on the outside of this pint? But it, it is odd that you notice that, uh, that she sounds like a well-to-do lady, because there must be something happening at the seashore this day, because I saw a man, not a submarine, but a man in a full white tuxedo running along the mudflats today. Did you now? Yes, he was crying like a baby as he ran, crying and running and crying and running and, and throwing papers all over the place and cursing the, the gods above. Did... W did he... Did he come toward the docks, O'Donaghy? 
he did come toward the docks, James, after he after he had a nice lay down in the mudflats when the tide started to come in. He ran toward the docks, climbed up upon it, and then had some sort of an emotional outburst. That's interesting. You say you saw a man in a white tux, but I saw a man in a brown tux, and it must be the same. On account of the mudflats. On account of the mudflats, O'Donaghy. Now, what was a man in a tuxedo down doing by the docks of the doom? Now, I've only ever seen a few men cry like I saw that man cry today. I, you saw me cry when I lost the, the fabled blue lobster back in 68. That's true. That's true. You only cry that way when you lose a love. I've never been the same since. The, the, the vacant look in your eyes, O'Donaghy. Have another point, have another point. <laughs> now, I, my theory is that this man was for some reason in love with this, this bedecked woman who jumped upon the submarine and she shifted out to sea and he seemed to be very upset about that. She was his blue she, lobster. She it was. She breaks was. your heart. A bit close to home for you, I, I take it. it. It's a bit rough. Now, now I, I, I don't know. Maybe this is the hopeless romantic in, in me uh, fabricating this detail, but I, O'Donaghy, I, I swear to you, I swear to you on my right testicle, also named John Rodney. Jenny. Rodney, <laughs> yes, Rodney, I know him well. That I swear that I saw that woman blow a kiss from the, the prow of that submarine. I don't know <gasps> if it was aimed at me or the man upon shore weeping and pulling out his hair. I know the submarine of which you speak. I saw. I did not see the woman because she was she was behind the open top hatch. Right, but I right. did see the submarine now that you mention it. And I didn't think anything of it except to say that the submarine named... Talk tall to me as a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. Never sails at that o'clock. Something must be going down. And frankly, I'm here for it. I love going down. Seamus, another pint! Another pint!